If you'd like to read with me in your Bible, I'll be reading from Acts 2, verse 42 through 47. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they continuing and they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Please be seated. Well, I'm happy to be with you today. It's a privilege for me to be with this fine congregation of people at Broadway. And I, I uh, hope that if you're visiting with us, you'll stay long enough for us to become acquainted and encourage you to come back whenever you possibly can. Thank you for that beautiful singing, very fervent scriptural prayers. I'm always very grateful for these men who stand before us and wait on the table and and in turn are doing their, their very best to lead us in the right way, in the proper way, and I'm very grateful to each and every one of them. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, is a great passage of Scripture. And I selected it today because I wanted to, in a very practical way, talk about uh, the idea of growing in faith and what it really means and how we can tell whether we're growing in faith like we should. We've had a few here been baptized recently. We're so thankful for these young people who've been obedient to the gospel, and it always is touching to me to see these young ones in these tender years decide they're going to follow Jesus. Isn't that great? There may be some more that want to do that or need to do that, and I hope that you'll consider that matter. If you've never been obedient to the gospel of Christ, then make your decision to repent of sin, be baptized into Christ today. Acts chapter 2 has got to be a pivotal passage of all the Bible. Everything in the Old Testament toward Acts chapter 2. Everything in the New Testament is looking back toward Acts chapter 2. It really is a focal point. There, the power of the apostles to tarry in Jerusalem until they received power from on high. The power from on high came, Acts chapter 2, and about verses 1 through 5. We see the events that took place in that all the way down to verse 13. In Acts chapter 2, you have the first gospel sermon. You and I studied that very carefully. One Sunday night, we were here together, and we outlined that sermon, and we considered the important points that Peter made. And one of the overriding points that keeps coming up in his sermon is this resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he brings that up, 18 through 36. Then you have the first converts. These men and women who heard the word of God and saw the truth of that resurrected Son of God, that Savior, they obeyed the gospel. Verse 36, on down through about uh, verse 41. 
what they did then, what we encourage people to do today, repent of their sins. That is change, give up their love for sin and their practice for sin and of sin and be immersed in water for the remission of sins. That's what the word baptism means, to be immersed in water, receive forgiveness. That's the point at which that happens. And then, of course, the powerful part of that second chapter really for us begins in verse 42. You see, we have repented of our into Christ for the remission of our sins. But what happens next? And that's verse 42. Verse 42 through verse 47. We see a summary of the first church, the people of God, and how that they were. And if we look at that and consider that in our own life, we can soon see whether we're faithful or not, because the marks of faithfulness are really given to us by verse 42. If Jesus has changed the darkness of your night into day, and you've been obedient and want to grow and to be more like Christ would have you to be, then study with me today these great verses. Found for us in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42 through 47. Sometimes I think that in their own minds they think, well, I've been baptized, now what? Here's the now what, beginning in verse 42. One of the things that I mentions is their teachability. They were teachable people. I need to spend a moment with the grammar here just for a minute. And as you're opening up your Bible and studying along with me, you find in Acts chapter 2 and 42, and they devoted themselves. The word goes back to the idea of adhering to. They were adhering to or they were devoting themselves. King James Version has, they continued steadfastly. And he's saying they devoted themselves to all of the following. And he lists a number of things that they devoted themselves to. They really were devoted to this. To say that they devoted themselves or they continued steadfastly in these matters is to say that they were eager to hear and eager to do what the apostles were saying. And in my own mind, I'm looking at this and I'm realizing, well, you know, the day of Pentecost took place on the first day of the week. And they repented and baptized on that Sunday. And they continued steadfastly that day. They were listening to the preaching and the teaching of the apostles. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Special word there that goes with the idea of teaching, didache. It's a beautiful Greek word. And it means, it could mean doctrinal teaching, it could mean practical teaching, whatever the apostles were teaching. Do you remember that Jesus said to the apostles, he said, go unto all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. And then he goes on and tells them to be baptized teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've committed unto you. And the apostles were doing that. They were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have committed or I have taught you. And they were steadfastly listening to the teaching of the apostles. It says the apostles did 
have the Word of God at that time in book form like we have it today. You know, the book of Revelation wouldn't come till some 60 years after this particular point in time. And God gave the Word of God in piecemeal type revelation as the church was ready to receive it. And they were listening to these inspired apostles whom the Holy Spirit had baptized these men. And they were giving inspired lessons. The application for, e- for me is... They were willing. They were teachable people. And they were devoted to it and eager to listen to what those apostles were teaching them. Inspired lessons. And eager to do it. Sometimes I've seen it expressed whereby somebody comes forward and they want to be baptized, and they are, and or even before they're baptized, they think, well, I want to be baptized, but I can't teach anybody yet. I don't know enough to teach anybody. And my response to that is, you don't need to teach anybody yet. The only thing you need to do is be teachable yourself. You need to be able to be open-minded to the Word of God so that you can allow the Word of God to guide your life and direct your life so that you can respond properly to God's Word. You need to be the teachable person. Not so much now you're teaching someone else. That'll come later as you grow and you mature into Jesus Christ. Right now your task is to be a teachable person. And that's one of the great marks of faithfulness. Teachability. Teach me God's Word. And we should ask ourselves the question, is my heart open, is my mind open with regard to the will and the Word of God so that I'm willing to be taught? In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, you have a wonderful statement about the Bereans, and I wanted to read it for you this morning. It talks about people who were very teachable. And in this um, Acts chapter 17, verse 11, is what I meant to say. And it talks about these people being very teachable. And you know the passage that I'm dealing with. I'll start with verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They examined them eagerly. That's the right activity. Be teachable. They wanted to know what God's Word says. Now, I'm listening to what this person is saying to me, but is this really what the will of God is for my life? And so they're testing it. They're evaluating it. They're looking at it from the standpoint of the Scripture. And God says, by means of his inspired penman here, Luke, He says, now these people were teachable people. In fact, they were noble people. They are more noble than those of Thessalonica. Now, the people at Thessalonica, they were hard-hearted and very stubborn and wouldn't listen. But now the Jews of Thessalonica were more noble because they would listen. Their heart was open and their mind was open to the revelation of the will of God. They were teachable people. That's a mark of faithfulness. I'm willing to listen to what God's Word says. The hard-hearted individual who's simply not going to listen to the Word of God, who thinks they know all the answers already on the front end, is not a teachable kind of person. And it's not a mark of faithfulness. 
a mark of faithfulness is when we listen carefully to the Word of God and apply it to our lives. Now the passage comes to mind that will help me understand this important mark of faithfulness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians is dealing with the issue that the church faced there. It's a very early book, and they were disturbed about the second coming of the Lord, and Paul writes about that. In fact, the second coming of Christ is mentioned in each of these chapters, both in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. But it comes to our minds here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and the verse is about verse 13. Listen to what the Word of God says about itself. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Now, if you haven't read 13 before, or perhaps you have read it before and you've forgotten about it, you ought to mark 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, because there's a word, there's a passage that very clearly Paul is saying, this is God's word and you need to listen to it. And it also tells us that this word is working in us. This word is turning us, transforming us as we allow it to do that into being more like God's dear son and being the kind of person that God wants us to be. You know the word for that is teachability. A person is teachable. They listen to the Word of God. They receive it. They're struggling to understand it. They're working with the words. They're putting it into context. They're trying to understand it as best as they possibly can. Apollos was mighty in the Scriptures because he was a man who could do that. He was a man who could put those pieces together so that people could understand it. They were teachable people. And if we're going to be Christians... We've got to be teachable. Now that we've been baptized, what next? Teachability. Keep your heart and keep your mind open to the Word of God and listen to it and realize that it is speaking to me. If someone wrote me a letter of loving kindness and consideration for me, I'd read that and I would cherish that and I would look at that letter and I'd examine it and think about it in every way and that's exactly what God has done for us. He has given us a wonderful word of love and consolation. And I study it, and I read it, and I carefully analyze it, and I place it in my heart. I want to be a teachable type of person because it truly is a mark of faithfulness to do so. It's one of the great things that we need to have, especially in this day and age. We need to be teachable people. One of the marks of Faithfulness was this matter of fellowship. Notice what he says. Now keep in mind the verb devoted themselves, and they devoted themselves not only to the apostles' teaching, whatever with doctrinal matters, whatever practical matters that teaching had in store for them, they were eager to listen to it and to do it, and adds to that the fellowship. One of the things that just leaps from the page with regard to this wonderful church that we read about in the New Testament is this matter of fellowship. One thing that helps me understand the word fellowship, they had these things in common. It was a common bond that they now shared together with each other. They were together in these particular matters. And one phrase, though, that I've read it anywhere particularly or 
seen it mentioned in this fashion, is one anothering. It just helps me understand what the Bible is saying when it comes to the matter of fellowship. They were available to each other. There was a great level of one anothering among themselves as the body of Christ. Now, they've obeyed the gospel, and they've heard the preaching of inspired apostles. Man, what a wonderful experience that must have been. And they responded to it. Some 3,000, verse 41, obeyed the gospel of Christ on that day, that Sunday morning. And they continued steadfastly listening to the inspired teaching of apostles and fellowship. One anothering. They were together. What a great subject fellowship is. You and I have been studying as First John. And this matter of fellowship comes up there quite a bit in First John. In fact, it's the only way to understand First John properly is to understand what he's talking about with regard to the matter of fellowship. It comes up in First and Second and Third John. And John's very concerned about this matter of fellowship. Study with me a verse. 1 John chapter 1 and the verse of verse 3. In that particular passage, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We can have fellowship. Fellowship with God and fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. The Son refers to the human nature of Jesus and the special relationship which he shares with God the Father. And the Son of God refers to the fact that he is God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we have that one anothering now because of our obedience to the gospel of Christ and and because of our faithfulness to the word of God. And these early Christians, as a mark of faithfulness, they were devoted to that. They were devoted to this one anothering. But let's not forget verse 7 of 1 John chapter 1. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, if you hadn't done that, mark that verse 7. 1 John 1 and 7. We are in this together. It's the family of God. Wonderful fellowship that means so much to us. It meant so much to the early church. Be in fellowship with each other. Supporting one another. I suppose four is a close kin to what we're seeing in Acts 2. In Acts chapter 4, we see once again some of the great fellowship that was experienced in the early church. Now, the full number of those who believed, verse 32, Acts chapter 4, were of one heart and soul. You see that fellowship there? And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but that everything, but they had everything in common. And with great apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. What an experience of faith that these people were able to have that kind of one anothering fellowship devoted to it. I have to ask myself the question how devoted am I to the fellowship of the body of Christ? How teachable am I? 
and how devoted am I to this wonderful fellowship of When you become a Christian, you now are added to a spiritual family, the family of God. And being added to that family of God, I grow in my love one for the other. It's the kind of life that Christ wants me to have. They met constantly to share the common life that they had in Christ Jesus. And I have to consider myself now and ask myself the question, how serious am I about the fellowship that we have with each other? Now, I'm not in fellowship with everybody. As John points out very clearly, those who continue to walk in the light and who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're in fellowship with them. But we're not in fellowship with everybody because everybody has not done that. Everybody's not been faithful. But a mark of faithfulness among God's people is this matter of teachability and this matter of fellowship. How much am I concerned about the body of Christ? I want to talk about this next point. They were worshipful people. And when you get to this matter, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. I'm working off of Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And I'll bring up the matter of prayers in just a moment. But I want to talk about that breaking of bread. Our translators have done us an injustice there. It does not translate the definite article that is found in the original text. In fact, the definite article appears twice. The breaking of the bread. And they translate it, I think, uh, the breaking one time. The breaking of the bread is what it originally says. Some people come and they look at that and they say, well, he's, he's talking about the meal that they were sharing together. But that really doesn't come up until you get down to verse 46. And day by day attending the temple together and breaking of bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. That's the common meal that they shared together in verse 46. But I'm up there in verse 42, and I want to know what the breaking of the bread means. When he says the breaking of the bread, he's talking about the Lord's Supper there. And to try to capsulize that mark of faithfulness, I just describe it as a matter, they were very worshipful. They were worshipful people. They were there on the first day of the week. They'd been baptized into Christ. They continued to listen to the preaching of the apostles. Why, they were very teachable. They were involved in this wonderful fellowship, and they were involved in worship. In fact, the context of this passage is very much a worshipful context as he brings up this matter of prayer. So he's not talking about simply eating a a shared meal together, as we sometimes do. He's not talking about getting together and sharing a meal. Not at this point. That comes in verse 46. He's talking about the Lord's Supper there. And don't forget the significance of that definite article, the breaking of the bread. It's a figure of speech called synecdoche. Synecdoche stands for the whole. They call it the breaking of bread. He's talking about the Lord's Supper. The bread was a part of the Lord's Supper. The fruit of the vine was a part of the Lord's Supper. It's synecdoche. To say the breaking of bread has reference to all of the Lord's Supper there, both the bread and the fruit of the vine. Now, in our day and time, what we do, you know what we do? We slice the bread. Take a sharp knife, we slice it. And if you're like most folks, they get their bread from the corner store, and it's already sliced and ready to eat. But in ancient times, they didn't slice the bread. They would break the bread and pull it off. 
And it became a figure of speech. The bread. And even in our times, we'll sometimes use breaking of bread. Let's go break bread together. And we talk about a common meal, don't we? But in verse 42, they're talking about worship. They're still there listening to the apostles teaching and preaching. They're still there in their fellowship on the first day of the week. And the Lord's Supper is referenced, the breaking of the bread. They were worshipful people. Now they did this every first day of the week. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. They came together and there they broke the bread. They were involved in the Lord's Supper. And it was an important part of their worship service. And I think what I'll do is take just a brief minute and turn to Acts chapter 11. Because if you're not familiar with this section of Scripture, then you certainly want to become familiar with 1 Corinthians. I said Acts. I'm, I'm talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. And that's the passage that I'm, I'm having in my mind right now. 1 Corinthians 11. And Paul gives inspired instructions about this worshipful situation, the breaking of bread. For I received from the Lord, verse 23, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. Now you'll remember Matthew chapter 26, 26 through 28. That's what he has reference to there. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a proclamation that we make to the world. We're proclaiming to the world, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I am proclaiming to the world when I take that bread and I drink that cup, that Jesus is the author of my salvation. And I'm going to continue to do this for the rest of my life to the end of the world and Christ comes again. It's a proclamation what we're doing. And it's a very important worship. These people, they were devoting to worship. And they all came together to worship God and to proclaim his death till he comes again. It's a mark of faithfulness. On the first day, as much as I can be, now I know that things come up through the week and things come up in life. It may be that I'm out due to sickness or hospitalized or just some unforeseen circumstance may take me out and I just can't do it. But if I have any say in the matter, I'm going to be there breaking bread with the brethren. Breaking the bread. The Lord's Supper every first day of the week. And when I travel, I'm going to go and look for a faithful congregation to worship with. Because I know on the first day of the week, they're going to be breaking the bread. They're going to be observing the Lord's Supper. And I want to do that every first day of the week for the rest of my life. It's a mark of faithfulness.
Now, some people take the Lord's Supper and with a hum and a haw. It's just a yawn. They're not that concerned about the Lord's Supper. It doesn't seem that that's much of an important matter to them. They can take it or leave it. You see, that's a mark of lack of faith. And someone who doesn't have the kind of faith that they really ought to have doesn't really look at the Lord's Supper as they ought. But I will say this, and I believe that I'm well... If you look at that Lord's Supper every first day of the week, and that bread is passed, it doesn't mean anything to you. It doesn't seem to be important to you. Just a type of formality that one goes through. You're well down the road toward apostasy. It is a mark of faithfulness that we do this every first day of the week. I want to talk about opportunity, the matter of prayer. And it surely shows the trust that they had. They were trustful people, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, they use the definite article there, talking about the prayers that were being conducted in the worship service at the time. And in Acts chapter 2, and I'm analyzing verse 42, and I'm looking at these great marks of faithfulness, and I see that one of the great marks of faithfulness is the matter of prayer. You ever sing that old song? It's one of my favorites. Sometimes we sing it. I need thee every hour. And I know that I'm singing it, but at the same time, I'm praying it in my heart and in my mind. I know that I need God every hour. Why? Why do we pray? We pray because we need God every hour. They were trustful of him. They needed him. They knew that. And they were involved in the prayers, the prayers to God, that God was there to help them. It is a mark of faithfulness. Do you know there are some people who don't even pray? Who don't even... I wonder why a person wouldn't pray. I think the reason a person wouldn't pray is that a person thinks that he knows too much and that he is too much. In other words, I already know everything that I need to know, and I can handle everything by myself. I don't need anybody, and I certainly don't need God. A person who refuses to pray is the kind of person who says, I already know all the answers to this particular matter, and I can handle everything by myself. And let me tell you something. When you have that kind of attitude, life has a way of knocking the props out from underneath you. And life has a way, and the circumstances of life have a certain way whereby the next thing you know, I need God. And I need Him more than I've ever needed Him before. One of my favorite verses on prayer has got to be 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I take just a brief moment to read it to you because I do like this passage so much. 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. And... I can remember the time when this really meant a lot to me in the very beginning, and I I never forget it. Rejoice always, verse 16. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is God's will for you. Pray without ceasing. Now that means always have a readiness of mind and a readiness of heart to pray to God. And don't ever be so busy in your life that you can't find time to pray. 
It is a mark of faithfulness as early Christians prayed to God. And I have an idea when I read about their prayers in the pages of the Bible. It wasn't some kind of memorized platitudes that they'd said over and over and over again, but it came from the depth of their heart. They were praying to God. Now, so many times, I'll tell you when we pray, when we can't do anything else. And we're in such a bad shape in that corner that we don't know what to do. We're up against the ropes. Then we think of prayer. Sometimes, sometimes, we'll say, now pray for brother so-and-so. Is he in that bad a shape? And we think prayer is a last resort. Why, there's nothing left. The only thing left is prayer. So let's go ahead and pray for him. As if that's the only thing we could do now, let's just pray for brother so-and-so. And we pray for brother so-and-so. But we ought to ever be in a prayerful mind and disposition to go to God in prayer. Not when it's just the last resort. Not when things are so bad. We can't see our way out of anything else. Pray without ceasing, the passage says. That is a mark of faithfulness, to be a kind of prayerful person always in tune with God and always ready to pray to God and be thankful. It's something that these early Christians did. And the text actually, the prayers. And they devoted them to teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Faithful How many times do you pray? How many times do you pray? Find time to pray to God. Doesn't have to be a long, but express your sincere hearts to God. A gift, a privilege, an avenue belonging to the child of God. The wonderful opportunity to pray. It's a mark of faithfulness. Now, I don't want to end. A minute or two, and I know my time is wandering away, but I use the word reverence. They were teachable. They were people who enjoyed this fellowship. They were worshipful, trustful in the matter of prayer, but they were reverent people. Can you see that, though, in this next verse, verse 43? And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And awe, they were filled with reverence. Because of what God had done for them. There was a great deal of uh, signs that had been done by the apostles. At this point in time, only of the apostles could do those signs. The signs referenced here in the passage are the miracles which they were empowered to do. You notice Mark chapter 16, how that these matters were done to vindicate, verify, corroborate the word of God. And in verse 20, tells us very particularly these were the purposes of the miracles so that they could see that the word was really being true and truthful and taught. These signs were being done. Signs were done in Acts chapter 3. There, the lame man at the temple. Signs were done there in casting out the demons in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 9, the raising of the dead. These particular matters filled those hearts with awe and reverence. It's a mark of faithfulness. What God was doing 
through them. Uh, we don't have miraculous works today, but we have the of God with us today. And I'll tell you what, difficulties come up today, don't they? Just like they did in the first century period of time. But we should see God working through those difficulties. And it ought to fill us with a sense of awe and reverence. Look at what God is doing. To put our hope and our confidence in the will and the word of God. Even when sin's power is the darkest, God can work it out for us personally and for his body, the New Testament church. God's power is at work. Even though we don't have the miraculous work today, God still works today in the world in which we live. He works in a providential way. And I have to tell you, I don't understand everything about that as I'd like to, but I know that he takes natural elements which he has created and he puts things together and makes things happen for you and for us as his people in a non-miraculous kind of way. And when sin is the darkest, God's work can be the greatest. And it ought to fill our hearts with awe. Now sometimes... You know, I look at the Grand Canyon, and I was always impressed with the Grand Canyon. I'd go when I lived out in that part of the country to the Grand Canyon every Thanksgiving. We'd go to the Grand Canyon and hike around and then go have dinner. And I never got tired of looking at the Grand Canyon. And I never get tired of looking at Yosemite. Or I never got tired of looking at the sequoias or some of the great things that we have in our world. I never get tired of looking at the Atlantic Ocean or the Gulf Coast or the Pacific, the beautiful bodies of water that God has created by divine design. But I'll tell you something else that ought to fill us with great awe and reverence is God working his will in this day and in this time. And through faith, we can see God providentially working his way. Congregations preaching the word of God ought to fill our hearts with reverence and awe. The beautiful singing we've heard today being led today. It ought to fill our hearts with reverence to hear these like-minded brothers and sisters of faith singing with their hearts to the Lord. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is that the church of the Lord grows stronger and stronger. Isn't it a wonderful thing? to be able to be a part of a congregation like the Broadway Church of Christ. It's a wonderful thing. Now before we start nodding our heads yes to that, let's remember that marks of faith for the Broadway Church would include teachability. Are we going to be a teachable people? Are we going to listen to the Word of God? Worshipful fellowship one anothering, entering into each other's lives and helping each other as the need arises and encouraging one another as time goes along, filled with prayer, trusting in God, and very reverent, understanding the will of God on our side. And if God's on our side, who can be against us? Now, church growth is a big subject, and a lot of people want to talk about church growth and that kind of thing, and they claim to be experts in church growth. But a tumor is a growth also, and that you don't You want church growth that pleases God. You want people 
to grow in faith by being teachable and being in fellowship with each other, worshipful, trustful, and reverent. And that is church growth. More and more numbers are a wonderful thing to have. But even there, these elements of faithfulness must abide in each member. Acts 2, 42 through 47. Now, I was able to talk about 42 and 47 a little bit. Tonight, I want to look at the rest of the paragraph, and I hope you'll be with me. I talked about this matter of being obedient to the gospel of Christ, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. I spoke about this matter of living for Christ thereafter. Whatever the need of the morning hour, if it means obeying the gospel of Christ by repenting and being baptized, let's do it today. If you know enough about the word of God to come to understand your obedience to it, I hope you'll do that. We've seen others do that. I hope you will if you need to. Or if there needs to be a repentance of sin, let's do that. And in turn, get our lives back in line with what the Bible teaches. Let's do it right now. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.